Evening, everyone. <laughs> it's like being at school all over. Um, 1 Kings 19, first of all. 1 Kings 19 is where we'll start. I just want to extend a warm welcome to everyone. Um, It's not uh, so much of a journey for us northerners, but uh, I know for many of you who've come uh, from faraway places, it's been been somewhat longer. So I just want to welcome everyone here tonight for the first night of camp. And, um, you know, I realise for some it might have been a long journey and you may be fairly uh, tired after a busy day. And, um, but I'm just going to ask one thing, and that is, will you just watch with me for the next 30 minutes? That's what Jesus said to the disciples when he was in the garden, you know, just watch with me one hour, you know. And uh, that's just uh, what I, I just want to introduce uh, for the time being, if you can just bear with me uh, or watch with me uh, for the next 30 minutes, praise the Lord. Well, 28 and 55 seconds. So... To be precise. 1 Kings 19, uh, we'll start off in verse 9. Before we actually read this scripture, I'll just give you a bit of background. Uh, For those who know the story of Elijah, or the account of Elijah, uh, we know um, he challenged many uh, false prophets, and um, he called down fire from heaven. The Lord had devoured the sacrifice there, and uh, because of this, Uh, There were many hundreds of prophets of Baal, false prophets who were slain. And when uh, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, heard uh, of this thing that Elijah had been involved with, she threatened his very own life. And uh, make no mistake about it, this was some threat. Even her own husband, uh, King Ahab, didn't even challenge her on this. Just let her do what she wants. So this is no empty sort of uh, threat that she uh, gave Elijah and Elijah was in fear for his life he, uh, he actually traveled some 130 miles from Mount Carmel where the where the, the sacrifice was devoured uh, over the border of, of Israel into the southern the most southern tip of Judah to a, ca- a town called Beersheba that's 130 miles This was no mild threat. He took it seriously. He knew a reputation and he totally fled for his life. He took his uh, servant with him. And uh, if you read um, uh, in the previous chapters, you'll find that he left his servant there in Beersheba. And he went on for another 40 days down to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Uh, That's about a 250 mile journey from Beersheba. So all in all, he's basically travelled three, around 380 miles to get away from Jezebel. 380 miles. That's roughly, if you look up on your Google Maps there, that's roughly a distance from Edinburgh to London. Now, he only had to come to the border of Israel to get away from Jezebel's jurisdiction. But often what you find is... Uh, when you are in fear, you tend to go to the extreme. Your logic goes out of the window kind of thing. And um, here, because of the threat to his life, uh, as I said, Elijah 
um, ran for his life and he ends up in a cave. And this is where we pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 19. Am I too loud, by the way? No. Um, So in verse 9 it says, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, I suppose with uh, this the first night of camp, and this is the first talk of camp, um, maybe I've taken the liberty, as it were, to ask us all here the same question this evening, is what are we doing here? You know, what is the purpose for our journey that we have made? Why do we find ourselves in such a position uh, this evening at this meeting? You know, and if we really switch on to the purpose and the real purpose, the true purpose of why we are here, then you're going to have a fantastic uh, time uh, just at the Lord's feet here. Now, it's important to know that God had not instructed Elijah to be here uh, or, or to flee uh, to this cave. And it just goes to show you that the previous chapter, Elijah did some incredible things, calling, down, uh, calling on the name of the Lord and devouring the sacrifice and the prophets were slain and so on and so forth. Some incredible things, you know, absolutely incredible. And yet here he is moments later fleeing for his life. And it just goes to show each and every one of us is it's not what we did yesterday that counts. It's what we're doing right now. And all the people said. And this is why I've taken the liberty, perhaps, to ask ourselves this question as as the Lord asked Elijah, what are you doing here? Okay. And uh, what is our purpose at this camp? And in verse 10... Uh, Elijah replies, I have, I, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They throw down thine altars. Of course, King Ahab was, was the ruler in Israel at this time, and this was going on under his reign. Um, so Elijah's just basically explaining what had got, been going on in the kingdom. For I have been very jealous of the Lord God of, his, uh, of hosts, Uh, For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, thrown down down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Yeah? The enemy's uh, trump card is when you're going through difficulty, his trump card is that he will always make you feel you're the only one going through it. That's his trump card. That no one else understands, you know. That's his, that's his, uh, his, his trump card there. And uh, Elijah feels all, in a sense, all alone. His, uh, his life has been threatened. Uh, the prophets have been slain with the sword. Uh, the people of Israel have, uh, have forsaken the ways of God. And he's really, uh, really in a position where he feels he's just the only one left. If you actually read the chapters around it, what you'll find very clearly that he has a conversation with a man called Obadiah. And Obadiah um, actually uh, saved, as it were, or hid a hundred prophets away from Jezebel. So really, when you look at it logically, okay, Elijah couldn't have been on his own, you know. 
He couldn't have been on his own because he wasn't the only one. There was a hundred saved by Obadiah there. If you go to verse 17, we we won't uh, do that now, but uh, the Lord tells him or informs him he's got 7,000 people who have not bowed their knee to another God. You are not alone. Okay? And... um, I guess, you, you know, when, you, when, when he comes to this position here, because he feels he's the only one on his own, perhaps he wants to safeguard himself because he feels he's the only one. He wants to hold on to what he's got, what he's been given. It's precious to him and he wants to withdraw away and try and hold it to himself. But you'll find that never works, you know. Keeping the gospel to yourself because you want, you want to hold on to it is not the way to do it. You know, it's a simple, it's a simple principle is we've, we've got to use it or lose it. If we want to keep what we've got and increase in what we've got, we've got to use it unless, unless we're going to lose it, you know. We can't just keep it to ourselves. So what is the purpose of us being here? Is it to get, I've just given a few things here, is it to get away from the world? Okay. There's no harm in any of these things, by the way, but it's just a couple of questions. Is it to get away from the world? Is it to see your friends? Is it to have a rest? Is it to have a holiday? Is it to get some good fellowship? You know, you go to camp to get good fellowship. You can only get good fellowship if you give good fellowship first. All the people said, Amen. Amen. Why are we here? You know, camp is all about the body gathering together from all over the place. And as a body, the head, Christ, gives direction to the body when you gather together. That's what camp is about. That's what this gathering is about, is that we get get direction straight from the head. And this is the body here. And he wants us to direct us so we are more effective in our work for him. Anything shorter than that, and uh, you won't maximise the potential uh, that this camp has to offer. Uh, we better go on. Uh, in verse 13. Now the Lord reassures um, the Lord reassures Elijah. He shows him a wind. He shows him an earthquake. He shows him a fire. Um, speaks to him in a still small voice. I'm not particularly wanting to home in on that tonight. I just want to go back to verse 13, if I may. And it was so when Elijah heard it, this was the still small voice, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in, in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? The Lord's asking exactly the same question. You know, perhaps, uh, you know, we've got our purpose why we're here at camp, you know. And uh, perhaps the question needs to be asked again. Really examine why you are here. What is your purpose? What do you want to be able to achieve and learn from this camp? Because it's, it, it obviously starts tonight. It starts right now, doesn't it? You know, start as you mean to go on. And um, take advantage of it right now. Um, where are we going? Uh, verse 14. So basically, the Lord gives 
Elijah an opportunity, a second opportunity here to reassess his answer. Have a look at what he says. Verse 14 said, sounds awfully familiar this, okay? I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. (laughs) You know? It's incredible sometimes that the things that the Lord shows us, the Lord, what the Lord teaches us through the word, whether it's in the testimony or through the platform or, or through the gifts or through the fellowship, it's amazing how much God is pouring out and sometimes we never change our minds. We, we, we won't allow it to change our ways. This is what this is about now. The head is directing the body. Um, I have a saying, you know, um, busyness doesn't always equal productiveness. You can be busy, but you're not always productive. Okay, we have busy lives in the Lord, don't we? But the thing is, we want to go away from here more effective than we ever have been. That is the purpose of this camp, to get the direction from the head, from the Lord. And um, to be able to do this, it means changing your mind, changing your approach. Here now when you're, when you're listening to the word, when you're listening to the testimonies, if you go out of this camp, as it were, the same way you came in, where's the growth? Elijah gave one answer in the first question. He gave exactly the same answer the same question, uh, in the second question. Yet the Lord had done all this marvellous stuff in between. And yet, he hadn't changed, you know. And uh, this is a chance for each and every one of us to uh, perhaps fine-tune our approach in the things of the Lord so that as we go out as a body and as an individual, we can um, be more effective for God. Um, In verse 15... Um, The Lord carries on and he says uh, in verse 15, he says to Elijah, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and and when thou camest, anoint Hazel to be the king over Syria. Now the point I want to bring out of here is perhaps the cave seemed a bit of a safe place. You know, there's one only one entrance. You can keep your eye on it. It's a it's a fairly safe environment. And perhaps he withdrew that. Um, you know, to feel that safety issue. And, um, you know, there's thought as well that he came back to to Mount Horeb or where it all began in the beginning with Moses, you know. He'd come back to this original place, you know, to, to get that comfort. And what you'll find is the comfort is not getting back to the original place, you know. That's not what it's about. Uh, What it's about is getting on your knees. Prayer. That's where it's at. That's where you'll find the comfort. That's where you'll find the safety is on your knees, not in a place. You know, we've got the place here. The place is nothing unless we do what we've got. You know, unless we participate in that which we have. Um... And and God had said to him, look, I want you to get out of this cave and I want you to go back in the wilderness and I want you to anoint this man. Now that's what we're in the business of. 
This is the whole point of this camp, is to prepare us even more, to be more effective. So by the time that comes out, the clock's just gone off, by the way, brothers, not that I'm complaining, but, um, um, but by the time we, get out, we go out of here, and I don't want to sort of put a dampener on it by talking about going out when we've only just come in, but, um, you know, it really is um, an incredible opportunity that we've got and we are in the anointing business, all the people said. That's what we are involved in. You know, this is what God called uh, Elijah to do. Get from this place, get from this cave, and get into the wilderness. Get into the place where there's a drought of the word of God, and anoint this man. You know, that's what we are in the business of. And if we withdraw, if we hide away, we will never go out into the wilderness and be involved in the anointing business, you know? We have the time now, and we have, uh, we have the opportunity now. So it's really important for the first night to really assess our purpose, why we're here this evening. If we go to Ephesians 4, are you with me so far? Yep. It's important for us to get together, by the way. Very important. When you're out fishing, when you're out fishing, you, your net, your net um, gets damaged, as it were. And uh, the disciples um, not only cleaned their nets and uh, fished with their nets, it also describes that they mended their nets. And this is the time now to mend our net, you know. Um, you know, when you look at Mary and Martha spending time at Jesus' feet, we can only go out there with the gospel if we're spending time at Jesus' feet, you know. And uh, hopefully we'll look at an example about that in a minute. So it's important to get this time, but this time is in preparation for that time when we get out there. Amen? Is that fair to say? Amen? Okay. Uh, Ephesians 4. Now, I just want to bring it to Jesus because uh, you can't go any further than that. It all points back to the Lord. Uh, he is a man who knows his purpose every second, every moment of every day. Does he know his purpose and the reason why he came? In John 13, verse 3 to 5, don't turn to it, but it just says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God... He, he uh, riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself and basically began to wash the disciples' feet, right? The point I want to make out of that is Jesus, in those scriptures there, Jesus knew where he was from, Jesus knew where he was going to, and Jesus knew exactly what to do when he was here. That is purpose for you, you know? It says... Uh, because he knew the Father had given all things into his hands, he knew that he came from God. Yeah? He knew where he came from. And he knew that he was going to God. He went to God. That's where he was going to end up. So he knew what his end was, as it were. He knew where he was aiming for. And he knew exactly what to do when he was here, because he was the servant of all. He washed the disciples' feet. 
And for us to get our purpose now, today, for the rest of this camp in preparation for going back out to our individual uh, fellowships, those are the three things we've got to really grab hold on is where we are from, uh, where we're going to, and what we must do whilst we're here. If we know them things, then we'll really, uh, that will really give us some purpose indeed. Um, running out of time, so um, let's go to Ephesians 4. And it says in verse 8, Wherefore he says, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that, he ascend, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up afar above all things, that he might fill all things. Okay, so um, this is the whole point about Christ, of course, is uh, this is this is who it's talking about. If, if, if you read the verses beforehand, one faith, one law, one baptism, etc., that's another talk altogether, which I won't get time to, to, uh, to delve into tonight. But he ascended up on high. To ascend up on high, he had to descend into the lower parts of the earth first. He had to come down and die and be in the grave for three days before he could ascend on high and give gifts unto men. You are the product of his gift. You are the product of his sacrifice. You know? And through that, and through him alone, is captivity made captive. What a fantastic phrase. Today we have something called Stockholm Syndrome. And it describes the behavior of kidnapped victims who over time become sympathetic to their captors. The name actually comes from a hostage incident in Stockholm in the early 70s. And what had happened, uh, there was a hostage taken in a bank and it went on for six days. And uh, several of the kidnapped victims actually resisted rescue attempts during that time um, um, because they empathised or sympathised with their kidnappers. Can you believe it? You know? And uh, they actually, in the end, refused to testify against their own captors. This is called Stockholm Syndrome, right? Now... Jesus has made captivity captive. So in other words, the the point I want to bring out of here is he has given us the power and the anointing and the appointing to stand up and testify against the flesh and testify against the world. Because we were captive, let's make no mistake about it, you know. And before we were filled with the Holy Spirit, we were sympathetic to our captor the flesh, the world. We didn't want to testify against it. We didn't want to stand up and be counted for the Lord. But he came in and led captivity captive so then we could stand up and say, hey, I'm free and free indeed. You know, liberty. Let's hold on to them things. Uh, We must move on. John 3. John 3.
So Jesus knew his purpose, where, where he was from, where he was going to, and what to do whilst he's here. And, uh, you know, this, he's passed this on to us because he's made captivity captive and that we are free, mind, body, and soul. John 3, he refers to similar things himself in verse 12 and 13. We haven't got time to read them now, but uh, basically he says the same thing to Nicodemus, that uh, he, uh, there's only one who came down from heaven, and that's the Son of Man which was in heaven, you know. Uh, the camp theme is, of course, no other name. And uh, I just want you to think about this. No other name. How can it only be Jesus? Well, it is Jesus. I've just got a list here. Muhammad, Martin Luther, Henry VIII, who, who brought in uh, Church of England or Anglican, John Calvin, the start of Calvinism, John Smythe, who started the Baptists, John Wesley, who started the Methodists, Joseph Smith, who started the Latter-day Saints, James Springer White who's with Ellen White, who started the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Charles Taze Russell, who started the Jehovah's Witness. Mary Baker Eddy, you know, started the Christian Science. Ron Hubbard, who started the Church of Scientology. All these people started religions. You know where they are now? They are dead. There is only one name because he lives. He descended and he ascended up on high. We know that because we speak in tongues. We're filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. There can be no other name under heaven because these and many more besides have all gone. And he's the only one that still lives. All the people said, Amen. Amen. And if we know he still lives... And we know that he knew his purpose. How much more important does it make our calling? How important is it? You know, the, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, we didn't have time to read it, but it says there's one body. Well, what if you've got one body, you can only have one head. And he can be the only one who's there. Now, if he's, got one, if he's the one head and we are the one body, and we believe we are the one body, how much more important does that make your calling to get the gospel out? How important is that? You know, if we believe we are part of the only body to go out and be authorised to preach the gospel for the salvation of mankind. You know, it's absolutely incredible. If we read uh, uh, John 3 verse 5... Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is totally unique, unlike no other. And so are we, and so is his message. All the people said. Totally unique is this, this uh, message here. You must be born again. I don't know whether there's anybody new here tonight, but this is what you must do. And you will have never heard any such thing like it. And this is why we encourage you to receive it. Because it is uh, like no other. Jesus said in John 18.36, My kingdom is not of this world. Because he ascended up on high. These people here, their kingdoms were of this world. But what we've come into, the born-again experience, is not of this world. 
That makes our calling and the responsibility to get the gospel out even more important. We must move on. Acts 4. Got a couple of minutes left. Acts 4. Ultimately, this is what our purpose is, to make sure the gospel gets out there. Uh, Acts 4, verse 10, there's a miracle that taken place here. It says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by this does this man stand here before you whole. The one to rise from the dead. The one to ascend up on high. It can't be any other. Because there isn't any other. Do you know? And this is what we've come into. Uh, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved hopefully we've established that point quite clear this is the verse i want to get to verse 13 now when they saw the boldness of peter and john and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men uh, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with jesus it's a fantastic verse isn't it that yeah they took knowledge that they had been with jesus You've got to spend time at his feet. This is what we've got now. And uh, once we uh, latch on to this purpose, by the time we go back out there, people are going to know that we spent time at the Lord's feet. It's going to be obvious to them. We're not supposed to be like the religious. We are not religious. We are not to be in any way, shape or form like the others. You know, the simple truth is, and this is what we talked about in the Northwest and on my time's running out. The simple thing is about walking in the Lord is to be like Jesus. <laughs> That's a bit flash, isn't it? All right, I've just got a couple of thoughts, so thanks, brothers, for the reminders. <laughs> I should have got that trumpet thing when you get up here. It sort of gets everybody going then. Um, Anyway, we better move on because I don't want to abuse the time that I've got. So uh, verse 20, let's go down to verse 20. So if if we know these things, happy are ye if you do them, is what Jesus said. In verse 20 here... He says, uh, the disciples said, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and the things of which we have heard. Do you know, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we walk with, walk with the Lord, we are the only ones standing between the living God and a dying people. That's how important this calling is. Make no mistake about it. You know, that you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you're born again, you're part of the one body. And you are the thing which stands between the living God and a dying people. And this is a totally unique message. You know, and we must propagate it. We must get it out there as much as we can. Um, In verse 31. 
And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. This was some prayer session, <laughs> you know. If you read about Paul and Silas, I think it's Acts 16, you know, they were in prison and they were praying and singing praises to God and the, the, the jail doors flew open and the jailer came to the Lord. Now that was some chorus session, all the people said. Let's have, let's have a bit more of that, you know. That's, that's where it's all about. And uh, we, now we have this opportunity to strengthen our, to strengthen our faith and straighten our walk. That's what we've got now, the opportunity to do that. This has got to be our purpose in preparation for going back out, to strengthen the faith and straighten our walks, you know, to go out. One last one, Acts 5, okay? Just one last thought, Acts 5 and verse, and verse 42. We know the, di- the disciples and the apostles here were challenged every step of the way about getting the gospel out in here. Acts Acts 5, verse 42, it says, um, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They realized how important this message was to the world. They realized how important it is to make sure we know our purpose. You know, it's not necessarily here to come in, get away from the world, or see our, our mates, or have a rest, or have a holiday. No harm in those things, but our purpose is to prepare ourselves to go back out. Simple as that, you know. And the thing I just want to end up on here is they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And this gospel and this message cannot stop with us. It must go to others. We must save others. It cannot stop with you. It must go on. All the people said. Amen. Amen. We'll leave it there. Thanks, everyone. It's a key player. All right. Well, whilst we're finding our son.